Hey, welcome to another episode of the Fire the Family podcast. Uh, Nick and Kayla are here for episode 34. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, budgeting. It's kind of been the theme this week, uh, zero-based budgeting. Uh, We're going to talk about the basics of budgeting, what works really well for us when it comes to budgeting, and kind of how we've evolved over time from just trying to you know, uh, use our whole paycheck and make sure that we're not overspending uh, to where we are now, where we're actually uh, allocating money um, each month to different accounts in different places and uh, are pretty excited about the whole thing. Uh, So we uh, are going to uh, kind of start by um, a conversation that uh, we've been having uh, about uh, lawn care versus having our house professionally professionally cleaned, and I think it it's a good segue into the the budgeting conversation because how we determine if we're going to add a new expense to our uh, our budget is is you know falls in line with with the basics of budgeting. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, but before we do, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Savology.com. You can support our website and podcast by simply going to firethefamily.com slash resources and get a free financial report card from Savology in just five minutes. It's 100% free and our website will get a very small kickback from Savology. It's a great way to support what we're doing and get something of value in return. With that being said, uh, I want to have the uh, lawn care service come out and mow my lawn and trim my lawn for me. And the reason being is it's super hot here. So it's like a half day event when Nick mows the yard. And I totally respect that and respect his time and get it. And um, before we were even talking about that, uh, we moved into a huge house. I mean, for us, it's a big house for us, way bigger than what we were used to. And so we were talking about having the house professionally cleaned um, once a month, not anything special. I mean, I have no problem doing the upkeep and, um, and keeping up after it, but with working full time and chasing after the boys and grocery shopping and all of the little things that come with being a mom, it would be so nice if I could have someone come in once a month and deep clean the house. Um, and you know, Nick's offered to help and I know that he will cause he's definitely stepped up in the past when I've needed help, um, you know, transitioning back into work, but it's not the same. He does not have the same standards of clean. Well, he does. He does have the same standards as clean as I do, but when he's actually cleaning, he thinks just spray, wipe down, you're good to go. There's no getting on your hands and knees and scrubbing the grout and, you know, mixing your own little concoction of cleaner to get that grout nice and clean. It's like spray and go. So having it deep clean once a month would totally help with that upkeep to where you could just spray and go and be done. So to me, that cost is so worth it than me having to spend an entire weekend cleaning our house so that it stays nice and clean after all the five people and two pets that we have in here. Well, and the thing about the lawn is I like mowing and I like trimming and I like taking care of the grass and kind of competing with my neighbors about uh, our grass. And um, we've moved from Washington to Texas recently, if you've been following along. And uh, we moved from uh, cool season grass to warm season grass. And so the grass we have down here would have been considered an invasive species yes. uh, where we're from. Something we would have tried to get rid of. Now, our, now our whole yard is made up of uh, basically 
Bermuda grass and I think zoysia. I haven't 100% looked into exactly what types of grass we have, but it's very different. Uh, and with that being said, it's like 105 degrees out at nine o'clock in the morning with like 40%, 50% humidity. And uh, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. It's like 80, 90 out, but with that humidity. Okay, so with like 60, 70% humidity. <laughs> the real feel is typically around a 90 to 100 when I'm mowing. And it's just so humid that I'm like drenched in sweat, dehydrated. It takes an hour and a half and our yard isn't even that big. Um, I have to trim so much because we have this big play toy in the back that came with the house that the previous owners left. And uh, we have some big like ornate landscape rocks that uh, make the, the mower really difficult to uh, to get into the small spaces. And then the side yard is, is probably the, one of the bigger you know, yard, part of our yard. And it's got a rock path through it. And so trying to mow through these rocks and this rock path, the mower doesn't get hardly any of it. So I got to trim like the whole side yard and uh, it just takes forever. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if I go and if I go inside and write an article, like, will will that generate enough, you know, ad revenue to, to cover the, the cost of somebody coming out uh, during the, the hottest parts of the year to mow because warm season grass is going to thrive in the summer. So it's growing like crazy right now. So I almost have to mow it twice a week. And it's just so darn hot out that it takes up like, uh, you know, a, qu- a third of the day on the weekend. And then I'm, I'm kind of out of it for the rest of the rest of the day, because, uh, like I said, it's like a, it's like just like a long workout. So anyways, long story short, I would like to have that covered, but to have somebody come out and mow, it's going to be like 50 bucks a week, like to have them mow for me. So if I had them do that for two months, I'm looking, I'm guessing probably, uh, what, what, what is that? $300, $400, $500 for the season. For the season. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. And so, uh, like that's to get to the, from the cool point to the, to the warm or from through the warm point from cool season to cool season, like, uh, June, I can mow in June and I'd mow in September basically. And so uh, July and August, I'd have someone mow for me. So not going to do that this year, but it's definitely something that we're talking about. And then the, the, having somebody clean the house, my opinion is that it's, there's air conditioning. And so like, yeah, but there's air rather, conditioning for Kayla to sit down and scrub for a whole I would rather, day. I would rather clean the inside of the house. Then, but the point is, is you're not going to <laughs> clean the inside of the house so, that way. Okay. So end of the story is if we wanted to add one or both of these services, let's say, let's say total, uh, spend is going to be, uh, $250 a month, 500 a month to have somebody come clean once a month, like a deep clean and probably 300 bucks. And then to have somebody come out and mow probably 200 bucks. Yeah, let's say it probably about 500. So $500. Let's say we want to add that to our budget. So in order to do that, we do a zero based budget which is the topic of the, the whole episode today. Um, and in order to do that, we have to look at our total income. And so we want to start with how much money we're bringing in for the month. And I wrote an article about this. It's the most recent one on the website. If you want to go check it out at firethefamily.com. Uh, basically, if we start out, the example I used was a $9,000 household income, which is probably pretty close to an, a normal household income. This depends on where you live and, and what kind of job you work. But I think the average American household income is probably from seven to $9,000 a month after tax. Uh, maybe a little bit lower, maybe a little bit higher, uh, but I think it's a good round number to start with. So let's just say we bring in nine thousand uh, dollars a month, and that's after taxes, after deductions, after in, uh, allocating to our employer's four hundred one k, and uh, paying for insurance, stuff like that. Um, that's the money that actually hits our checking account each month. So then we have a choice to make: uh, what do we do with that money? We can either put it uh, in, um, you know, and we can invest with it. We can pay off debt with it. We can. Uh, save it in like an emergency fund. We can put it into like sinking funds, um, which I go into detail on uh, another article. 
basically saving for future expenses uh, or we can you know spend it and so what we want to do is, is is first talk about our fixed expenses the expenses that don't change each month um, basically things like bills financial commitments that we have uh, if we have like cable or something like that uh, where if you don't pay for it each month then they'll just cut it off or uh, it'll it'll you know affect your credit or they'll repossess it so car bills the mortgage obviously those things have to be paid each and every month if you want to keep you know your living situation secure and so you wanted to make sure to take care of those things first obviously you want to make sure you have food water shelter all your basic needs are met uh, and so uh, things like groceries things like uh uh, the bills, those need to go in your budget first. And so once you have those line items in there, you can uh, justify those with, with dollars. So the whole definition of zero-based budgeting is a business concept where you, every dollar uh, that you're going to spend, every expense you have is justified uh, with income. And so what that does is it causes the business to analyze each uh, expense and really justify if it's an expense worth having, if you really need it, uh, rather than if it's just a want or extra. And so when you apply that to a house or a family situation, basically that's just to say that um, uh, that when you justify your, your expenses, uh, you want to start with your, your highest priorities first and then add in the things that are wants and, and, and luxuries uh, towards the end. That way, if you don't have room, you're cutting your luxuries, you're cutting your wants, and you're not having to cut things like your, your grocery bill necessarily. And so uh, when we're budgeting, that's how we, we, that's how we budget. So we, look, we take a look at how much income we're actually going to be getting for the upcoming month. And then we put that in our, our, uh, the program we use, the Every Dollar Budget app from Dave Ramsey. And uh, we've been doing this for about three years now. And so we put that in there. So we know exactly what our, our household income is going to be. And then we start filling in the categories, our mortgage, or our electricity, or utilities, you know, all those things. And uh, our groceries um, and, and what we spend eating out and things like that have, have become fixed costs. They're typically considered variable costs where they just kind of fluctuate each month. Um, but Kayla does such a good job with, uh, with grocery shopping. Um, and, and she's the one day to day making sure the transactions go to the right categories that uh, we, we've turned variable costs into fixed costs. So we know what to expect each and every month uh, with our budget. So when we first started budgeting, it wasn't, we weren't very good at it, were we? No, we weren't. And I mean, we were trying, we were trying, we knew we needed to budget. Um, I grew up with a mom who budgeted. She saved every single receipt. My dad saved every single receipt and gave it to her. And she put it into a spreadsheet and had categories. And it was very, very organized. And she still does this to this day. So it was a very familiar um, to me. And she had taught me how to to do the same once I started working. And, um, I mean, we got an allowance growing up because she wanted us to learn how to budget our money. And we knew that if we wanted to do something on the weekend, we better save our allowance because they weren't going to give us extra money. So, um, it, it was very familiar to me, but once we had our own money and this was not a lot of money, we did not make very much. Um, it just seemed to go super fast. We spent it on little things and, it, it just added up really fast. Um, and so when Nick brought up the idea of doing our own budget, I was like, yes, please, let's let's try to, to figure this out. Um, but it took us a long time. We weren't very good at it for a long time. And so it just kind of evolved over the years into what it is now. And now I feel like we're pretty good at it. There's always room for growth and always room for improvement. But it's definitely helped us um, a lot in the financial area of our lives. I think to do anything more than what we're doing now, it kind of gets in the realm of 
perfectionism or trying to um, just make it so efficient that it, it becomes a strain on um, you know our our mentality and our uh, just our mental state when it comes to our, our money and so I don't want to go you know I'm ca- um, cautious to go too far uh, on that you know with the pendulum swinging that way and so what happened was we would when we first started budgeting we would uh, we would start off really well and then we'd end up the month with no money and having to transfer out of our savings and I, it was just so frustrating it was just it, it was so infuriating that we would you know we're doing so well and then the month would just go would just be a loss it would just be uh, in the red and to watch that happen month after month, it got to the point where I, we were just so sick and tired of it that we just decided to go to a bare bones budget and see what that's like. And that was that wasn't that long ago. That was a couple of years ago. And um, at the time, I was making about forty grand uh, the first year out of college. Kayla was making um, about twelve to fifteen, uh, working part time while while raising the boys. And um, so we weren't we weren't making a ton of money as a household with bills and groceries and, and three kids. And all, and all that stuff. And so what we did was we went down to a zero, a zero budget, like a zero expenses, bare bones. Like if we don't need it, it's not getting spent. And we wanted to see kind of what that felt like. We slashed our grocery budget probably in half. Um, we just didn't spend. And I know it's kind of a trend right now to have no, you know, no spend days or have a whole week out of the month where you just don't spend on anything. And, um, and that's kind of the idea is to just drop your, your expenses so low that it's like painful. Like you don't go out and eat at all. Like, like Dave Ramsey says, rice and beans. Um, never been a big fan of a lifestyle like that because I think that that's just too minimal, but, um, uh, it, it really helps, helps you set the bar and put things into perspective. And so we did that for, uh, I think about a month and it was like, it was painful. And so once we found that level where it was like all our, all our commitments and needs, all our fixed costs and everything were met. We had zero, you know, extra zero luxury items, anything like that. Um, cut subscriptions. We got rid of things that we weren't using, and um, it was it was boring. Like we didn't go out and do very much. Uh, we went to the park a few times and, and just did things that were uh, generally cheap or free with the boys. Um, but what we found was when after that month was over, and we were glad that when it was over, we started adding categories or money back to the categories in our budget where we thought would be most effective. So we added some money for to let us go out and eat, eat at a restaurant a couple times a month. We added some money into the grocery budget so we could start getting like chips again and soda and the stuff that we had cut out of our grocery budget. And we added some money into some key areas that would uh, make us not feel so deprived uh, after that month of, of an absolute zero budget. And that once we added that money back, it never went back to like as much as it was. And so we had we had kind of taken it to a far minimum and then came up from that just a little bit until we felt comfortable. And that's really where we've been ever since. And, um, it's, it's, it's felt really good. It's allowed us to get a nicer house than what we had. Um, it allowed us to have some, some free money to some surplus money to put into our emergency fund, uh, to start investing with a lot more aggressively and to, to pay down some debt. And that's the choice that you make or that you have available to you when you spend below your means. And so if you make $9,000 as a household and you spend five or six, that frees up three or $4,000 each month in cash that you can put to work. And that's, that is the tool that you use to achieve financial independence that you, that you uh, can use to build that nest egg that you're, that you're searching for. And so um, because you have such a big cash flow, you can also absorb emergencies. Um, if you don't have an emergency fund built up yet, you, you're basically able to absorb an emergency every single month if you needed to, which 
usually doesn't occur. And so what we did was we fully funded our emergency fund. We used to have about $10,000 on emergency fund. Now it's up to 20 and that just helps us sleep at night. And I dipped into it uh, the other day because we had to schedule a, uh, an appointment to have our uh, home warranty for our uh, dishwasher uh, serviced. And it was like 75 bucks. And so that was the first time we've drawn out of our $20,000 emergency fund and $75, you know, and that's the point of it. And so it's not, it's not like, oh, we got to get the, mer- we got to get the dishwasher fixed. And it's like, oh, cool. We've got money for it. And even if we had to buy a new dishwasher, it's not the end of the world. We could buy 20 dish, $20,000 dish, dishwashers and still be okay. <laughs> and so um, that works for us. It might not be the right number for everybody, but once you have that zero based budget in place, you can, you can make those kinds of choices. And so now we have an emergency fund, you know, fully funded. And so when we talk about um, kind of the path to financial independence, we talk about budgeting, we talk about having an emergency fund, we talk about increasing the savings rate, which is reducing your expenses and increasing your income, which once your expenses are decreased, you're really done, you've done that part. And so you can move on to working to increase your income, getting an education, investing in yourself, um, you know, maybe turning both spouses into, into full-time work or whatever it may be. And then the last uh, T is uh, total stock market. So I don't give individual you know, investing advice. I would just blanket statement, say the average person is going to be just fine and be able to reach their financial goals if they uh, invest in the total stock market. So like VTSAX, the Vanguard total stock market is what Kayla and I are largely invested in for our retirement. And that's going to guarantee about 10% you know, return over time, over the long run. And the nice thing about that is, yeah, you're not getting 15 or 20%, but you're also not taking on that risk and you're making up for it by working to increase your income. And so by creating this big cash flow each month, you're, uh, you're effectively just pouring money into these retirement accounts and it builds up really quickly. It compounds over time, especially if you start young and it'll get you where you need to go. So we're looking at reaching some financial independence number that we have set in stone, which isn't really a hard and fast number. Um, and nothing's really going to change when that happens. It's just being good stewards of our money. And, and if we, if we, right now we're saving like an additional several thousand dollars after, after tax. And it's like, what would we do with that instead? Like, would we go out and I don't know how, could you spend that much money every month? No, I definitely couldn't. (laughs) So we get to a point where it's almost just, it's almost just like disgusting if we were to sit down and spend an additional, you know, three to five grand a month. Well, and I think that's partly what mindset we've put ourselves into because if we hadn't have done what we did with our budget so long ago and like made ourselves think that way, then we might sit here and say, oh yeah, we could do that, you know, spend that much money every month. It might be different. And so I think because we were so strict with our budget and put ourselves in that mindset for so many years, now we're like, no, like that is, that would make us sick to our stomachs to spend that much extra money. So it's, it's all about the process that we've gone through as to why that's our answer now, I think. Yeah. And the nice thing is, is when you're saving like that, um, a lot of people don't, don't look at it this way and they look at retirement accounts, like you're putting that money away and nobody's going to be able to touch it for you know 40, 50 years. And the reality is, is most most after tax like individual retirement accounts will allow you to pull out like a Roth IRA is going to allow you to pull out your contributions penalty free. And so um, they have to they have to spend a little bit of time soaking in that account. But uh, when you go to pull that money out, you can you could you could pull it out in a worst case scenario. I wouldn't. But um, if you've exhausted your emergency fund and you you know need more money for whatever reason, um, just it ha- that would have to be just a you know, terminal catastrophic emergency uh, situation. 
but you could tap into those if you need to. And so it's not like you're saying goodbye to your money forever. You're just putting you're just giving it a job. You're putting it to work. And that money, if you've read the, I highly recommend reading The Richest Man in Babylon if you're interested in just very getting started with very simple concepts. It's a parable. It's time-tested, age-old wisdom where you basically uh, you're 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 getting dollars and looking at them like they're you know, and this is time period, con- contextual time period. Uh, they call them slaves, and so you'd have your dollar out there working for you on your behalf. And the more dollars, the more gold dollars that you're out there, you know, that you have out there working for you, uh, the 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 better, you know, you're able to build wealth and it compounds. And so that's really what you want to do. If you're just sitting on liquid cash in your bank account, like, yeah, you're protected against emergencies, but you're not protected against inflation. You're not protected against uh, just the degradation of the dollar. So you want to make sure to be to be balancing that out by getting a return on your money. You worked hard for it and now let that money work for you. Because the reality is, is we all have to retire at some point in the future. And unfortunately, a lot of people that are going to retire in the next 20 years, 10 or 20 years, are going to be having to continue to work. I think the the latest data point that I saw was uh, the average American around 40 years old has about $200,000 in their retirement account. And that's going to pay you like nothing. less than a thousand dollars a month in retirement. So, um, you, people have really got to get, get on board with this stuff and not, not depend on social security. Um, because I, even the board of trustees that runs the social security program says they're going to be insolvent by 2035. And when that happens, social security will still exist, but they're only going to pay out like 75% is what they say of what you would actually get. And so right now the average social security payment is something like $2,000 plus or minus a little bit of money. And that's just not, that alone isn't, isn't, isn't a very good retirement. Um, especially since it's fixed income, it's unlikely to increase and over time. And, uh, if you're only going to be able to get 75% of that. And the reason why that's the case is because once you're in, once they're insolvent, they can only pay out the money they bring in for that year. And so it's, there's no guarantee that you're going to get anything, but it's likely that there's going to be something in that program. It's just not going to be enough. And so we need to be responsible and take care of this stuff on our own. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to work a nine to five when I'm 65 years old. I'll probably work or volunteer my time or work for the church or whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, But I definitely don't want to have a a manager micromanaging me at that age, right? Like that's going to be probably half my age. And so the idea of fire financial independence, retire early, isn't necessarily to actually quit the workforce, but it's the transition into something that you're passionate about that you really like to do. Like Kayla's found it. She likes teaching and she'll probably want to do that for a long time. Um, You know, I, I work a salary plus commission job. I like what I do today, but when I'm in my fifties, I don't want to be heavily paid by commission unless I'm at the top of that, you know, pyramid. Um, It's just super stressful and, um, it's not, I don't think, enjoyable over time, but that's basically what we're up against. And so if we start budgeting today and we want to just free up this cash flow. And so whether you make a low income or a high income, there's, there's, there's money you can, you can free up. And in the beginning, it might only be a couple hundred dollars a month, but that goes a long ways, especially if you're starting out young. And as you grow and work on your income and continue to invest in yourself and earn promotions and increase, they always say like when you're, when you get a raise, you don't want to increase your expenses. And that's really the, the simple as it gets. And it's, but it's very hard for most people to do. And like us, like we've increased our income drastically over the last three years. We went from almost zero taxable income to uh, about $150,000 of taxable income. And we upgraded our, the size of our house, but we moved to a new location from Washington to Texas. So the market is like 
the housing market's like half the price. And so, yeah, we got a bigger house, but it's also a house that we're going to be able to raise three boys in that are all going to be this, my size in like 10 years. And so that's a little scary if you think about how much space you need uh, in the future for raising a family that's all, that has three boys in it. That I mean, we go through a, ten, a package, of, we go through 10 hot dogs now when we want to have hot dogs. And it could be more. <laughs> and that's just me having two hot dogs. My oldest has two hot dogs. My middle child has two hot dogs. And my youngest child has been eating three hot dogs. And he's two years old. So, I mean, if you just look at that as an example, like, so we're, we're excited that we were able to, to upgrade the size of our house. And we would never have been able to do that at the age of 29 by a 3,400 square foot house if we didn't have our finances, finances in check. So when they looked at our budget, um, when they looked at our, our bank accounts, like hopefully they saw, wow, they like they're free. They have thousands of dollars a month in free cash flow that they can do whatever with. Like the likelihood of us being able to pay back that loan is extremely high, which means that they'll qualify you for more money. They'll qualify you for a lower interest rate, and you're going to benefit from that over the, over the long term. I mean, our interest rate's like three point two percent, so three point two five, and that's like historically super low. <laughs> like, I don't know any point in time in the history where um, you've been able to get a loan much less than that. I know there's people getting 2.9 or just below three, but I'm completely happy with a 3.25% interest rate. Um, so that's really exciting for us. Um, so the basic formula of zero-based budgeting is your income minus your expenses equals zero. And uh, the there's an asterisk next to expenses because expenses, in when you're doing zero-based budgeting or every dollar budgeting, your expenses are also including your investing and savings. And that sounds kind of counterintuitive and the expenses is typically considered like a dirty word in uh, personal finance. But all it is is meaning that money is flowing out of your checking account. And so we want to make sure to uh, if we're going to have a zero based budget where every dollar of income has uh, or every every dollar of expenses has a dollar of income. Um, we want to make sure that we're accounting for those those other dollars because we're putting them to work. And so when it comes from that standpoint, um, you might spend, you might have a $9,000 income, household income, and you might spend six in your expenses, which is your bills and stuff. And then you're going to have like, let's say $2,000 going into a Roth IRA and $1,000 going into an emergency fund. So now you have a zero based budget. And uh, that's really the way that you want, you want to look at it. And then you want to take that $3,000 or that you're, you know, that you have freed up and, and decide what, how much you want to put in investing, how much you want to put in your uh, emergency fund and uh, and sinking funds. And so kind of a fun thing we're getting into now is what do we want to do uh, six months from now? Do we want to go on a vacation? Do we want to go to Disneyland? Uh, hoping things open up from the coronavirus. And so then we can start dividing the total cost of those activities by how many months we have until we reach that. And uh, we can save that much each month. So if Disneyland's going to cost us, I'm not very good at math, but if Disneyland's going to cost us $5,000 and we want to do it in 10 months, we need to save $500 each month to be able to afford that. And then you can pay cash for it. And that's a lot of fun when you're already paid for it. Like you've, you've, you've accounted for it over time you've, and you can just lump the money down and it, it, you're not having to find it in your budget anywhere. And so I know we're excited to do that for Christmas and birthdays and uh, unforeseen, you know, foreseen financial events that are going to happen sometime down the road. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like doing it like this. Um, I'm the one that kind of sets the the total strategy with our budget, and um, I'll, I'll I'll go into every dollar and I'll um, I'll alter all the all the 
all the income and expenses. And usually it's way less than we're actually, it's like less expenses than we're actually going to, to have to pay out. And then Kayla comes back behind me and she'll revise it and kind of make a final, a final draft. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times um, Nick doesn't think about all those little things that are different for that month. He just sets like, this is the basics. This is what his idea is and then I'm like oh wait but there's Thanksgiving in November so we're gonna be spending you know an extra hundred dollars on extra food for Thanksgiving or whatever it may be there's birthdays we're gonna be buying birthday presents for our nephews or just all those little things that he doesn't think about that um I go in and you know kind of do the final readjustment and it changes throughout the month usually um so it's kind of just like a general guideline for us but we do try to stick to it as close as possible because we want it to work yeah exactly and so i think a good tip is to leave a just a buffer um yeah making every every dollar zero based budget but keep money in your checking account keep five hundred thousand dollars in that checking account that way you're not getting stressed out if throughout the month you're even if you're sticking to your zero based budget you're gonna you would end up theoretically in that checking account with zero and that's a scary thing to, to approach and so to avoid that, you can just keep some, keep a buffer, keep some money in that checking account. That way you don't ever actually make it to zero. And if you do have some of these unforeseen things pop up that aren't emergencies, it's not a big deal. You just add it to your, you'll just add it to your expense line and then uh, account for it on the income side. And that happens. And that's, that's the idea of not getting into the, the world of perfectionism and staying flexible and uh, just doing your best and your best might be, you know, maybe you missed the mark by a hundred bucks and you had to transfer a hundred bucks or something like that's not the end of the world or you had to dip into that buffer a little bit. It's not the end of the world because you've already allocated out money to save and, and, and invest and that's a big priority and anything other than that. I mean, if you have an emergency fund in, in place, you're doing a really good job and you're probably in the 1% of people uh, that are running their own, you know, their own finances. And so I think some of the benefits from, from zero-based budgeting uh, definitely outweigh the cons or the disadvantages. And some of the things that it's done for us, uh, it's improved transparency in our marriage. Uh, it's improved our financial communication like tenfold. And we can have almost any, I think any financial conversation between the two of us and, and not feel threatened, attacked, micromanaged. Um, I can ask how much it Costco costs that month because I'm just curious. Sometimes prices change over time. I don't do the shopping, so I'm always just curious of how much things cost. Um, we can have those kind of conversations without having an argument or, or fighting over, or fighting over our finances. Um, it improves your financial control. You're intentionally making these decisions with your money. It's a flexible budgeting system. As we just described, you can kind of add and subtract some money here and there. Uh, we're not worried about the, the hundreds of dollars. We're worried about the thousands of dollars and the, the really big fish. So if we have to order a $12 item off Amazon, because we need it for our house, maybe it's a cleaning supply, like that's not a problem. We're not going to worry about it because we've chunked out money into savings and investments. And uh, we're, that's our main priority is to free up that cash flow to make those choices. Um, it's a similar process used by businesses all over the world. It works if you stick with it consistently over time. That's the hardest part. And there's software that are focused on zero-based budgeting. Like I said, we use the Dave Ramsey Every Dollar Budget. And we've tried out all the other apps. And the nice thing about the every dollar budget is that it has a desktop version. It's got an app. It actually stays connected to our bank accounts. Uh, when we tried mint, that didn't happen. It would always disconnect. Kayla and I both get in there regularly and are comfortable using it. And that's the biggest thing. We want something that we're going to be able to use. 
and there's new pieces of software hitting the market every single day. So there's, there's bound to be something that works well for you. Some people like to just do it in Excel, which I don't like to do because it's 2020 and there's software that can solve for it, at least get you uh, going in the right direction. And the idea is to make this very passive and very simple to get in and discuss and make adjustments to. That way you'll actually use it. And the more friction that there is uh, in the process, the less likely you are to actually stick with it. Some of the disadvantages of zero-based budgeting are promotes perfectionism, like we talked about. Uh, your variable expenses require a margin of safety, so you want to have a little bit of money in checking account. So that's money that isn't, that's some cash that isn't going to be invested or that isn't going to be saved for emergencies at uh, a higher interest rate. Because we always recommend, I will recommend this to everybody, is keep your emergency fund in a high-yield savings account. That way you're at least getting some percentage, typically around 1% to 2% of your uh, savings is actually you know earning a little bit of money for you without being you know, heavily invested or, or you risk losing some of that, that nest egg. And then uh, zero-based budgeting can be difficult if your incomes are super variable, uh, but it can be done. So Kayla has a, she knows exactly what she's going to make each and every month. I don't. I, uh, I have a base salary uh, plus commission, which is about a 40-60 split. And so every month my income is in the realm of plus or minus maybe a thousand dollars each month and so what we do is we just estimate i have a good idea of what i'm going to make from month to month and so i'll estimate it and then when that income hits my bank account i just simply i just adjust it and if that drops our budget way down if i had a bad month then uh we just we we go back in and we make those adjustments so it's a living breathing document we're making those adjustments over time throughout the month and then by the end of the month we can go backwards and look and say oh well we did really we actually did really well or hey we really missed the mark what did we do wrong or what can we you know actually uh, improve on um, but i think that's a i think that's enough on budgeting um, to be honest we've kind of covered i think all angles all aspects of it it's important to get both people on the same page and that's probably the biggest thing that we were able to do over time and the reason why it was so easy for us was that we both have the same goals uh, for the future we both want to prioritize time with our family. We want to prioritize um, being very intentional with our money and being good stewards with our money and putting ourselves in a position later in life where, where we can make decisions um, separate from the level of income that we require. And by doing by becoming financially independent, which is many different definitions of what that actually means, it's different from person to person. But by achieving that, we can uh, just have a different life and uh, be responsible for ourselves and not have to be so worried about what the next government, you know, administration is going to do, uh, what kind of social you know, security system is in place and all these things that are just we just don't know. And those are things you can't predict and you can't know. But what you can control is what you do with your own money. And we work way too hard to just spend our money on things that are going to degrade in value over time. And yes, we have nice things, but we have few things. And so we're kind of this hybrid minimalist um you know, family that when we do buy something, we research it, we make sure that it's, you know, a, a probably usually of, of a higher quality um, and it's going to last us over time. And we just have fewer of those things. And that's allowed us to have a really great life that we enjoy that works really well for us. And so getting your partner on the same page, it's, it's a tough thing to do if they're not, you know, if their upbringing wasn't, uh, you know, conducive to them being c cognizant about their finances. So something you can do is you can go to the website, you can go to the resources page, firethefamily.com slash resources and download the money marriage checklist. I'm not a marriage counselor by any means, but these are topics that as a whole page of checklist topics where uh, that Kayla and I feel comfortable that we have discussed or we 
regularly discuss these topics without issue. And so if you can get to a point where you can talk about some of these topics and maybe bring it up and say, hey, here's a third party authority, right? Like maybe just use me as that and say, you know, they, they've talked about these things in their marriage and it, and it really helped them. And if that works, sometimes having a third opinion that's outside of the family is, is, is really powerful and, and helps move the needle. One other thing I want to mention is that I did just complete a course. It's an hour long course. It's going to be free for anyone that signs up on our email list. And I will send out a coupon code to make that free for you for the next like 30 days. It's not live yet. It's under review and it should go live any day now. And I will obviously put an update on social media. If you follow me on Instagram at fire the family, um, I will update you. But if you join the mailing list, I will get a coupon code out to everybody on my email list. That's free. I don't want to charge you for it. Udemy makes you charge uh, or, or give it for free. And so I'm going to, I have a price point on it because it took me some time to make and uh, you know, it will help support the website. And so um, the nice thing is, is, is the people on the actual Udemy platform are going to are going to pay for it unless they come to the website and obviously sign up for the email list. Um, and so we'll do that and uh, make sure that you guys can have access to that free of charge. Uh, you can start budgeting. It's an hour long. You get four downloadable resources and it really just covers the same stuff. We, a lot of the same stuff we talked about in this podcast, but uh, with a slideshow with some, some infographics and some, maybe probably some information that I forgot to cover. Um, but uh, yeah, so go to firethefamily.com, check it out, read the article that I just wrote, and you'll get a really good you know, base level knowledge on budgeting and what works well for our family and what we've done that, that works really well. And I want to thank you for joining us on the, uh, the episode this morning. And uh, hopefully you have a wonderful work week and uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one.